Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. How would you finish this sentence? For to me, to live is what? We all know Paul's answer. It is, for for to me, to live is Christ. And we're going to come to that verse here this morning in Philippians 1. The very name that we call ourselves Christians suggests that we have to answer that we have to answer that question with Christ in some sense. For to me to live is Christ. But I'm afraid sometimes we live as if Christ is not all that there is to live for. As if something else would be put in its place. For to me to live is maybe my career. For to me, to live is my recreation or my money or my relationships. Sometimes we live in service to Christ while putting Him on a, a, a plane that is level with the other things that we enjoy. As if Christ can be enjoyed in the same or should be enjoyed in the same way that we enjoy these other things. So it's Christ and these things and and did you notice that all the things that I mentioned were actually not evil actually good things family relationships career recreation money nothing inherently evil with any of those things and yet sometimes they can get into a position where we live for Christ and those things or sometimes only those things to the exclusion of Christ but if our minds are properly focused And if our lives are lived for Christ and for Him alone, then that means that all of those things that are probably good things are lived out to serve the greatest thing, the thing that we live for the most, and that is Christ. That all of these things, yes, we can take joy in them, we can take pleasure in them, we can pursue these things, but only as long as they they fall in line with our greatest pursuit, which is Christ. To know and to be with Christ ought to be the greatest meaning and goal that we have in life. To know Christ. And that's what Paul's is here in Philippians 1. Let me read our passage for us beginning in verse 21. Philippians chapter 1. This is the Word of God. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Life has real purpose only when it's lived for the progress of the Gospel. Life has real purpose only when we make Christ our greatest pursuit. First thing I want us to notice in this passage is that for the Christian, death is not defeat. Death is not defeat. Verse 23. Paul says in verse 21, to me to live is Christ and to die is, 
He doesn't say it's defeat, it's loss. It's actually a gain. It's, it's a good thing. But if I'm to live on, verse 22, it'll be fruitful labor to you. So he's kind of giving the two options. Now, no, he's not deciding whether he should take his life or something. Uh, he's just thinking, if I had to, to choose between life and death, it would be a hard choice to make. And here's why. Because death is not defeat. Look at verse 23 again. But I am hard-pressed from both directions. That is, to stay here and live or to go home and be with Christ. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very, very much better. Paul is not making a choice about his life and death, but he's just saying it's hard to choose one over the other. Here in verse 23, he's thinking about the personal benefit that death would be for him. And the choice for him would be is abundantly clear. Death is, notice the language there at the end, is very much better than, than life. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8 say, We walk by faith and not by sight. And I say that I prefer to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. One theologian says it this way, You cannot defeat an opponent who is not only willing to die, but for whom death means winning. You can't defeat someone like that. If our greatest desire is to be with Christ, to die, then if someone kills us, they haven't won. We've actually received, like Paul says in verse 21, gain. We've, we've gained here in, in our death. In verse 23, he says it's very much better. Notice what Paul does not say. He does not say, I am hard-pressed in both directions, having the desire to get away from the troubles of this life. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with wanting to get away from the curse of this world, the sin that besets us. I, I, I prayed even earlier today that the Christ would come quickly and reverse the curse. So there, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with wanting to get away from sin, but that's not what Paul prays for. Uh, further proof that, that there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to get away from this is because in Revelation 6.10, if you remember there, the tribulation martyrs, those who had been killed during the time of the tribulation, are sitting around the throne and they're praying to God. And they're praying this, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So even in heaven you have people who have been uh, sanctified finally and they're sitting around the throne saying, How long will You refrain from judging these people on the earth? So there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting God to come and reverse the curse. You even can go to the Psalms and you won't get very far before you see the prayers of anguish and cries for final deliverance. Jeremiah is another example in the Lamentations where he just he, he moans the, the, the curse that there is of sin on this world. But, but Paul is not praying for that. His primary desire is not to get away from the troubles of life, but notice what it is, verse 23. Having the desire to depart and what? Be with Christ. Now of all people, Paul did have troubles. And he would have wanted to get out of those troubles. But he understands that those troubles are part of life and a part of serving Christ. It's a part of bearing in the fellowship of, as he says in other places, 
bear in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He knew that it was part of life to suffer in this life. But instead of focusing on the removal of trouble, he says, I desire to be with Christ. You know why it's very much better for me to die? You know why it's gain for me to die? Because I will be with Christ. He wanted to have a deeper relationship with Christ. Deeper than he had on the earth. And so while Paul's personal benefit was at stake, when he thinks about his personal benefit, he recognizes that that's not all that's at stake. If it were up to him, if he had a choice between life and death, and it were just about his personal benefit, well, for him, it would be more beneficial to be with Christ. But he knows that that's not all that he's living for, but, but rather that he's living for other people as well. Look at verse 23 again, the first part. I am hard-pressed from both directions. This phrase, hard-pressed, comes from one Greek word that is used in Luke 8.45. There, Jesus is walking through this mob and they're all touching Him and He's kind of going through. And and remember, they're all pressing in on Him, the text says, and He says, who touched Me? The disciples say, who touched you? You're, You're in the middle of a crowd. What do you mean, who touched you? And he said, power has gone out of me. And remember, that's when he healed the woman with the, the uh, flow of blood. And the, the word there, being pressed in on every direction, like Jesus in the middle of the crowd, is the same word that's used here, hard-pressed on, uh, from these two directions. That is, to be here on the earth, and we're going to find out later, to help them, to help them in their progress of the Gospel, or to go on and be with Christ, He's hard-pressed as to which one he ought to do. He's between two difficult decisions. A desire to be with Christ and to know Him more fully and a second desire which comes in and around verse 23. And that is the progress of the Gospel in the life of others. So, for the Christian, death is not defeat. And then secondly, life has real purpose only when it's lived for the progress of the Gospel. Life has real purpose only when it's lived for the progress of the Gospel. Look at verse 22, because here you start to get an idea of what Paul's thinking. Why is this such a hard decision for him? If he had to choose between life and death, why it's such a hard decision? And here it is, verse 22. If I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. So there's a couple prophets, uh, things that profit Paul here if he stays on this earth. Obviously, we understand going to heaven will be great because then he'll be with Christ. He'll know Christ more fully. But here, he sees at least two benefits of staying on the earth. earth. First, the profit of his own Christian life. Verse 22, the profit of his own Christian life. Think about this. Paul said it's very much better to go on than to be with Christ because his goal, the meaning and goal of Paul's life was to know Christ fully. So, if the Christian's greatest desire is to know Christ and to be with Christ, and the the supreme way that we will know Christ and be with Christ is in death, right? We will see Him as He is. Then what's the value of life? Yet, Paul here in verse 22 finds fruitful labor in staying on. 
When he is engaged in fruitful labor, he recognizes that there is value to life. There's much more that, that Paul can do in his own Christian life and in the work of Christ. And so he sees some value in it. But to depart and be with Christ, that would be far better. If he had to choose life for Christ in this life and, and death in Christ or death to go to be with Christ, he would choose death. But he also recognizes there's great benefit for his own Christian life. And there is fruitful labor for me. There's great benefit for me to stay on. Now, I think if, if that were all that were a part of the equation, if it was just Paul's own personal progress of the Gospel, that is, the Gospel growing in him, obviously he'd rather be in heaven with Christ. But he recognizes there's something else at stake here. There's more than just him in the equation. And that's what we see in verses 24 and, uh, through 26. There's a prophet for his own Christian life, verse 22. But then... He also recognizes there's a prophet for the light uh, in the in the Christian lives of others, verses 24 to 26. Paul recognizes the necessity of living for the progress of the gospel, not in his own life only, but also in the lives of other people. Notice verse 24. Yet, so he's already kind of putting these two options out there. Would it be better to live or to die? Verse 24. Yet, to remain on, that is to live, in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. If we're just up to Paul in his own personal spiritual walk, it'd be better to be with Christ. But, for their sake, it's better for him to stay down here. To stay on this earth and to serve them. To, to help them in their progress of the Gospel. To link arms with them and bring them along. If it were his personal preference, he would be with Christ. But there's something more important than his own personal preference. And that is the progress of the Gospel in the life of these Philippians. And so when he thinks about life in these terms, you know, he's kind of hard-pressed on either side. Which one, if you kind of think of him like a scale, which one should he choose? Being here or going on to, to be with God? And when he puts the people the Philippian believers into the equation, the scale tips in favor of staying here because he knows it's far more beneficial for them if he would stay around. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You see what his concern is here? It's not just about his own spiritual life. It's about their progress in joy and in faith of the Gospel. Paul wanted to see them grow in faith. And he recognized that his life was a necessary cog in the wheel of their progress. Do you think about your relationships with other people in that way? Do you think about their spiritual growth? Are you too concerned with your own personal spiritual growth that you don't give much thought to helping on other people to glory. Jude talks about rescuing some from the flames. Do you give any thought to the spiritual progress of others? Or is this life all about you and your personal, individual, spiritual progress? Paul was about much more than his own spiritual progress. And that is a sign of real Christian maturity. That, that he's 
looking outside of himself to how God is working in other people. And, and the great part about this, verse 26, is that Paul recognized that Christ gets all the glory. Verse 26. So why is he concerned about their progress and joy in the faith? So that, verse 26, your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul says, if I stay on, then you're going to have great reason to boast in me. And all of your boasting will not be about me, but it will be bound up in the glory of Christ. It's abounding in Christ that you recognize that the only reason you can boast in me is because of what Christ is doing through me. His immediate concern was their spiritual well-being. At the end of verse 25, the joy and progress of their faith. But his larger concern, his greater concern, is the glory of Christ. That Christ's glory would abound and He would be honored as He deserved. His ultimate concern is not the individual Christians. That's an immediate or nearer concern. But His larger, ultimate concern is the glory of Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Paul's desire there is that grace would spread to more and more people so that more people would progress, would progress in, the, in the, the joy and the progress of the Gospel. And as that happens, more people are, are giving thanks to God. They're growing up in, in, in their desire to thank God. And as believers, we need to recognize that our greatest desire ought to be to glorify Christ. And the specific way that that happens is when we seek to not only see Him glorified in our own spiritual walk with God, but also in the walk of God among other believers. We want to see the grace of God exploding in the lives of other believers so that more praise is lifted to God. God is honored through their living, through the conduct of their faith. So, for a Christian, death is not defeat. Life has real purpose, secondly, only when it's lived for the progress of the Gospel. And then thirdly, for a Christian, life and death are all about Christ. Verse 21. Life and death are all about Christ. Notice verse 20, because here we see Paul was talking about that no matter what happens to him, whether in life or in death, Christ can be glorified in him. Verse 20 says, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. When we looked at this passage last week, I said that Paul was expecting fully uh, that, that his life could end. And that was fine with him. He was happy to, to go on in life as long as God allowed. He, he wanted to see Christ pleased, but he also recognized that Christ could receive glory in his death. So Paul kind of in that last passage shows the benefits of his life and his death to Christ. Here he shows the benefits of his life to himself, as we looked at in verse 22, and then to the other believers, verses 24 through 26. And I save this verse for last because I think it nicely summarizes the theme of Paul's thinking in this passage. 
Notice the first line, for to me to live is Christ. For Christians, our meaning of life ought to be Christ. Christ ought to be the meaning and goal of our life. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. We'll start in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. What was Paul's goal in life? It was Christ. It was to see Christ exalted in his life. And so for us as Christians, we need to follow Paul's example and make Christ the meaning of our life. We need to make that sentence end with Christ. To me, to live is Christ. And we could say Christ alone. The meaning of life is Christ. And the second part is that the meaning of death is also Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is quite amazing because for the unbeliever, death is an enemy. Death is a curse. Death is a penalty. It's an unbearable tragedy when a person in their 20s dies. Death is the enemy for an unbeliever. But for the believer, if we have a person like Nate Saint or Jim Elliott who die at the age of 32 and and, and 29, It's not an unbearable tragedy. Why? Well, because we know that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Psalm uh, Psalm 116.15 And we also know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 And we also know that those whom God has called, He's also justified. And those whom He's justified, He's also glorified. Romans 8.30 And we also know that many believers received their approval through their faith even though they did not receive what was promised while they were alive because God had something better planned for them. Hebrews 11, 39, 40. We know as Christians that to live is worthwhile only when we live for Christ, but we also know that death is not defeat, but it is like what Paul says right here, it is great gain. Paul contrasts the benefits of life and death for himself. Each verse here helps us to see that. That that for him, to live is Christ. And for him, it's beneficial to go on living for his own progress. Verse 23. But it's also beneficial for the progress of other believers. Verses 24 to 26. The goal of living for Paul is Christ. So let me show you how these two realities Life and death fit together in Paul's thinking. The goal of living for Paul is to know Christ. It is to to know Christ. All things are lost in view of the surpassing riches, right? Chapter 3, verse 8, of knowing Christ. He wants to gain Christ. So the goal of living for Paul is to know Christ more fully. So to die is not to fail for Paul. But rather, it is to attain that goal to a greater degree. So if our goal in life is to know Christ, then when we die, we will gain our goal, not lose it. 
The, pros- the, the prospect of death will, will only be pleasant when we have a desire to know Christ more fully. The prospect of life with all of its struggles will only be pleasant when we have a desire to know Christ more fully. Christ, uh, life, I should say, does not have real purpose if Christ is not at the center of it. If, if we're not pursuing a greater knowledge of God, then life has no real purpose. So I say to you, if your greatest pursuit in life is not to know Christ more fully, then you'll be disappointed when you die. Because that's what death is all about for the believer. It is to know Christ more fully. But if your greatest desire in life is a deeper relationship with Christ, then death will be no obstacle to you. It will actually be gain. We can know Him to a degree in this life and we ought to pursue Christ to the greatest degree that we possibly can in this life. But we will not know Him like we know Him in the next life. And so death for Christians can be described as gain. Let me conclude by asking and answering two questions. Number one, why should we make Christ the meaning and goal of everything we do? Why should we make Christ the meaning and goal of everything we do? There are two answers I want to give. First, it is in our best interest. Remember, Paul says, it is beneficial for me, in verse 23, if I'm to go on live in the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor to me. So, I would suggest the first answer to that, the reason why we make Christ the meaning and goal of everything we do, is because it's in our best interest. When we make Christ the goal of our life, sickness can't keep us from getting to our greatest goal, can it? When you make Christ and the meaning and goal of everything you do, what will that mean when sickness comes? When a debilitating illness takes you? Will it derail your dreams? Not if Christ is at the center. You will actually heighten them. You will actually heighten your desire for Christ even more. So sickness can't keep you from your greatest meaning and goal in life. Poverty can't keep you from your greatest goal, can it? Imprisonment, for Christ's sake, can't keep you from getting to your greatest goal. You can still pursue Christ in prison. Fractured family relationships can't stop you from getting your great, to your greatest goal. If a person whose meaning and goal in life is money or fame, and they come down with a paralyzing illness, what would that do for them? If their goal is money or fame, what happens when they're made, they're put into a place where they can't pursue those things anymore? It derails their dreams. It derails them. But for Christians, when those types of things come... We happily welcome them. Not We don't desire to have those troubles, but, but we happily welcome them because we know that we can still pursue Christ and often He makes Himself more clear, clearer to us than He was before in the darkest of times. Christian, don't find your greatest satisfaction with things that have little value for eternity. Find your greatest satisfaction in Christ. Otherwise, we will be like a person who is happy to eat canned food while we have an unlimited gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? 
We can go there as much as we want and eat of the best of the best food that there is out there. And yet we're continuing to, to feast on canned food. And that's what we're like if we don't pursue Christ. If we don't make Him the meaning and goal of our life. We pursue simple pleasures that don't really satisfy. There's something much greater out there for us. And it is Christ. When you make Christ the meaning and goal of everything you do, what can the world possibly do to you? In their opposition against you, what can the world do to you? If they kill you, it's victory for you. If you go on living, it's victory because you are getting to know Christ better and you can serve Him and, and share in the fellowships, the fellowship of His suffering. So why make Christ the meaning and goal of everything we do? Because it's in our best interest. We pursue the greatest pleasure that we could possibly have in this lifetime. Do you believe that? The second reason that we do this is because it's in the best interest of other believers. If we make Christ at the center of what we do, the, the greatest goal in our life, it's in the best interest of us as a church, one another. I've mentioned several times, and I won't stop reminding you, that our church needs to see examples of Christians who finish their lives well. We need to see examples of Christians who retire and live for God well. We need to see examples of Christians who go through deep trials at the end of life and sickness, and they still are faithful to God. They're still pursuing a desire for Christ. We need to see Christians who die well. We need examples of that in this church. And so you don't only do yourself well to pursue Christ as your greatest pleasure, but you do others in our church well. Even as we were reminded at the testimony service last week that, that you are being watched. The way that you live, other people are watching. And I don't just say that just to the older people in here, but also to, to each one of us. All of us, we serve our church. We serve other believers in our church when we pursue Christ as our greatest desire. Because we hold out in front of them Christ as our goal and show them that it's worthwhile to make Him our greatest desire. So, first, why should we make Christ the meaning and goal of everything we do? It is in our best interest and it's in the interest of other believers. Secondly, second question, how can we do this? How can we make Christ the meaning and goal of everything we do? Well, when, when things are complex, I like to think of this phrase that I've heard and, and it helps me. Make the main thing the main thing. Make the main thing the main thing. If the goal and meaning of our life is Christ, then we, what, what we need to do is to make the main thing what Christ wants us to do. And what is that? Look again at verse 25. Here's what Paul understood Christ wanted for him and for these believers. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What is Christ Want. What is the main thing that Christ wants of me as a believer? And it is for me as a believer to find my greatest joy in the progress of the Gospel. 
And it is to help others on to that same goal. To, to help others on to a position where they're finding their greatest joy in the progress of the Gospel. And that means that our entire life must be about a pursuit of knowing Christ and about accomplishing the purpose of the Gospel. The Gospel was intended for, uh, I believe, a twofold purpose. One, to save us. And two, to, to, to change us. To make us more like Christ. And so when we make knowing Christ the center of what we do, we accomplish the progress of the Gospel for His glory. So let's think about this in terms of our church. When was the last time that you made a significant decision with the first question in mind, how would this be beneficial for Christ's church? When was the last time you made a decision with Christ's church as the first question that you you asked yourself as to whether this was beneficial. Perhaps your boss offers you a promotion. At the same time, he mentions that you're going to have to work nights and most Sundays. Is your first thought, well, how much are we talking about? Well, how much more money will I get if I do this? Or is your first thought, how is this going to affect my ability to know Christ better and to spiritually contribute to the needs of other believers in the church? Perhaps you get an opportunity to transfer to another location. Do you give any interest in what is best for the church? Often what happens when we make plans to move is that we just kind of assume that there's going to be a church there when we get there. But have we given any thought to what is good for the, the sake of the church with whom we've covenanted ourselves? What would be best for the church? I was talking to my brothers the other day and one of one of them was mentioning, you know, I am committed to my church. And he goes to a really good church. He said, I am committed to my church. Even if I got called to a different place, I had an opportunity to go out of state or different city far away. He said, I think my first thought would be, how is this going to affect my relationship with the church that I've committed myself to? And And I would want to... He said, I would want to include in that choice of moving to another place, even if it was for the sake of the job and my family, my own well-being, I would want to know what my church, how this was going to affect my church. And, and he's mentioned before that he has a friend who, who kind of just got up and moved to a different place, being nearby some family or something. And he had been there for several years before before he ever found a church, and I think he's still not very happy with the church that he's at. And, and yet if he had thought about, how is this going to affect my own relationship with God? How is this going to affect the relationship with I, ha- I have with other b- believers? He might have done well to, to, to pursue that and might have uh, had, had a different outcome. What I'm saying is that we must live our lives driven by service to others. We make the main thing the main thing, which is to exalt Christ and to see Him exalted in the lives of other believers. Every Christian must make the meaning and goal of life to know Christ more fully and to serve Him more completely. And that means that we must find our greatest joy 
in our own personal lives, the progress of the Gospel as it changes us and in the, the lives of others as it changes them. Friends, life has real purpose only when it's lived for the progress of the Gospel to the glory of Christ. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Convinced that I will remain, I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that praise would abound to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for Your faithfulness to us and we're thankful that, that You bring passages like this to our attention so that we can refocus, recalibrate, and be reminded about what the most important thing is in life. Because following You is not simple at times. It becomes very complex. Lots of different responsibilities. Lots of expectations that You have for us, for our own personal lives, and as we minister to others. And so sometimes we can get clouded in our view of what is most important. I'm thankful for the passage that we've looked at this morning that reminds us that we need to make Christ the main thing in our life. And Lord, I pray that You would help us not to be blinded as Christians to the possibility that, that we could have moved Him out of that place, the place of preeminence. Lord, help us to be serious about examining our own selves as we ask You to examine us. And may Your Word reveal to us where we have failed You, where we have not made Christ the main thing. Lord, I pray for those who are seeking to do this, that You would strengthen them for this task, Help them to see the final goal is to know Christ more fully. And that for eternity we will be, we will be learning of Christ and, and more of His ways and more of His, His uh, desires and seeing His greatness more clearly. And I pray that, that You would bring that about in each of our lives in Your timing. Lord, pursue us for as long as we live. Finish what You have started in us. May You send our Savior quickly so that we can know Him more fully. And until that time, help us to seek to, to make Him the central uh, figure in our lives. May all of the other good things that we pursue be subservient to our greatest desire to know Him more fully, to confess His name to others. Lord, help us to see specific ways in which we can carry this out in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.